Welcome to Two Girls in a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bobble at a time. I'm Drea, and I like to learn things. And I'm Jules. I'm the less smart one of the two. Stop. Ain't no PhD over here. You know, we both smart. We both kind of... In our own ways. We both important. (laughs) We're both beautiful. That's right. As we sit here in full Halloween glory. Oh, yeah. Y'all just wait. (laughs) Wait till the photos for this episode. So this episode, we are calling Wine 101, and we're mixing things up a bit. We've had a few requests from you, our lovely listeners, uh, to take it back to basics. And we thought in honor of, or in preparation, really, of the Mm -hmm. holiday season and how shit's about to get real for everyone at dinner parties and family gatherings and yada, 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 Uh, that we would gift all of you a little bit of wine knowledge to get you through this crazy time of year. Give you some edumacation. There you go. But before that, let's kick it off with our reoccurring segment, Cheers and Jeers. Jules, what are you cheersing and jeersing this episode? I'm cheersing to the holiday season. Even though I get annoyed by the fact that the Christmas shit is out and it's not even Halloween yet, Girl, that shit was out in, like, July. It was. I mean, it was out way too early. It's still one of my favorite times of year because you get Halloween, and then there's Thanksgiving, at colonialism, colonialism, and then there's Christmas and New Year's, and my birthday is in there, too. So yeah. I really enjoy this start of the season. You're very festive, too, I must say. I am. I do get festivus. And what are you jeersing? Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I am jeersing to California drivers who apparently just don't learn how to use their goddamn turn signals while they're in driver's ed. Is there even driver's ed in California? I don't know. But no like one uses... Like in school? Yes. No. Liability, girl. Absolutely See, not. See, we had driver's ed in public school in Illinois. Can so we, we fucking hit a cow out there? No. I mean, you know, whatever. You're still driving on the road. You learn how to do things like use your turn signal. People here just don't use them. And it's almost like they're like, if I don't use it then I could just do whatever the fuck I want. Instead of just signaling your intention, just tell me what your intention is and I will let you in. But if I think you're an asshole, you're not coming in. Trust. Although my favorite is when they turn on this turn signal midway through like the lane change. Or That's my favorite. They turn it on and never turn it off. I'm like, you got to turn the fucking thing off. You understand how this works, right? Like once you switch lanes, (laughs) don't keep the blinker on. Anyway, what are you cheersing to? I am cheersing to the final arrival of red wine weather. Those evenings getting nice and crisp. Been busting out that red wine. Love it. Burning my pumpkin spice candle. Oh, God. Don't love that. (laughs) It's been great. Honestly, though, it's about fucking time. This endless summer, I'm having none of it. Yep. Was it last week? There was a day that was 96 degrees. Wait, here? Yes. Oh, that was the day I leave my house. Day. Yes. Yeah, no. Yeah, she hibernated. Mm-hmm. Don't All do right, that. All right, what are you jeersing to other than 96 degree days in October? Okay, so this is going to sound super princesa, and oh, I do boy. not care. Uh, wine prices in Estados Unidos. I mean, I mean, you did just get back from Spain where the wine prices are ridiculously low, so I get it. Yeah. It, it's like, getting... It can't get a little crazy over here. I mean, I was out and I paid, what, like $16 for a glass of wine? For a glass, girl! For a you glass! You get three bottles in Spain for that. I know! Yeah. I, I know! Um, the This ancestral cava, that bottle I brought back for you. Yeah. That's like a 17-year-old bottle. Yeah. 
whole bottle. A whole bottle that's turned by hand and aged for nine years. What the fuck, people? Yeah. Come we on. We need to get it you, together You know, here. I think we just need to appreciate wine more. But that's okay, because that's what we're here for. That is what we're, we're here, here to help. You're welcome. Listeners. Listeners. <laughs> so there you have it. Your cheers and jeers for this special Wine 01 mini episode. Since we're going back to basics on this episode, we are serving up some of our biggest wine pet peeves. So before we get into the real educational part here, we're going to tell you how to not look like an asshole when it comes to wine. Which is very important. Very important. Very, very important. You're welcome. So Jules, let's, let's kick it off with you. What is one of your biggest wine pet peeves? People that sniff the cork. Like, put the cork literally up their nose and sniff it. Like, that's not actually what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to just look at the cork to see that it has the name of the winery on the cork. That's all the cork is good for. Memento, maybe. Maybe. Turn it into a magnet, a keychain. Also, you can save your corks and recycle them. I yes. just find that out recently, which is ridiculous. I didn't know that. What's one of your pet peeves? Uh, tasting with poor service so um when i go to a tasting room and this is like when you're visiting a winery right like i go to learn contrary to popular mm-hmm. belief yeah. i do you don't I just do, go to get wasted i don't go to get wasted i'm not like an endless bachelorette party of one like i'm i'm there to learn something so i it's really important to me that the staff has some knowledge and that they're willing to share it you know Mm -hmm. um and they're i think some of the best tasting experiences i've had is when you know whoever's pouring the wine is chill and welcoming and likes questions and is engaging there's the two worst possibilities are someone who just like pours shit in your glass and walks the fuck away or someone who is such a snob talks a little too much about it about everything that they're just like yeah like, and they yeah. just lose you yeah it's too much yeah so strike that balance balance yeah. is important that kind of takes me into my next one just pretentious bullshit like that like just be chill just be cool yeah just be, be cool. chill just acknowledge that we're all here to enjoy the wine and we all have different levels of knowledge and experience and just understand that. That's also kind of like a general life rule of thumb. Yeah, just be, be chill. chill. Just be chill. It, it's yeah. it's real nice. Mm-hmm. It's very pleasing. It's nice. Okay, what's your next one? Uh, when so this drives me fucking nuts when people at the restaurant will send wine back because they don't mm. like the way it tastes. It's like, like that's on you. Yeah, that's that's not the point of. Tasting so when someone opens a bottle and they pour out a little bit and they let you you know do your swirl sniff and taste bullshit, like being like oh I don't like this actually is not reason enough to send, send a hundred and twenty dollar bottle back. Yeah, like that is on. You should you. have known how to ask the right questions of the psalm or the server or the whoever the wine expert is that was around because there's usually someone around that you can yep. ask and. It's your responsibility to tell them what you're looking for. Right. And the only reason you should send wine back in a restaurant is if, if there corked. is, yeah, if there is a flaw in the wine. Yeah. So if it is corked, if it is cooked, and we're going to talk about those things in a little bit. But that's why you, that's why they let you taste it. Not to be like, 
Oh, you know what? I wanted a Pinot and I ordered the Zen. Yeah, that's too bad. That's too bad. Fine, we'll get you a Pinot, but you're still paying for that Zen. Right, so you might as well drink it down. (laughs) Or send it to us. Yeah, we'll drink it. (laughs) All right, Jules, what's next on your list? Next on my list is Stingy Pours. I mean, I understand that there's a standard of like, it's a six ounce pour, like whatever they have, right? Like places are different things. But sometimes when I get a glass, like I'm just getting something by the glass versus by the bottle. I'm like, really? That's what $17 gets me? And it's like barely to the like the, the line of the shape of the glass. If it's like a glass. Like a four ounce totally pour. Yeah. yeah. It just feels, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't make me feel good. And no. then I also just feel like, how am I really going to taste this wine? It's like barely a couple sips of wine in this glass. Also, it makes me, frankly, less likely to get a second glass. Oh, absolutely. Because you've like, cheated my ass. Yes. <laughs> like, exactly. Give me a generous pour. I'm not asking you to fill it to the brim. Not going to complain if you do. Actually, I probably would complain because I'm just like that. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> How dare you fill my glass to the brim? That is inappropriate. Okay, what's your next one? Uh, so this is back to kind of a restaurant experience. I don't know why I go out to be quite fucking honest with you, but, uh, watching people order the most expensive bottle on the menu. And so this is a great example. I was at this, this nice restaurant in Barcelona and where I happened to know the manager at the time. And, uh, this table of Americans is ordering, you know, 300 euro bottles of Dom Perignon. Oh shit. And I was like the fuck. So I had ordered... A 40 euro bottle of and you're like that's expensive of yeah of Gromona which is a historic cava cellar from that region and you know it's fine to celebrate it's fine to like nice things but especially when you're traveling like drink local that's how you're gonna experience a place and also get dom anywhere yeah just because it's the most expensive thing on the menu doesn't mean you're gonna fucking like it to be honest so you know go go for what you like don't yep. go for price. Exactly. Unless you're on a budget, then go for price on the other end of that, right? Where you're like, I need to go with something that's on the on the cheaper, but you know, the cheaper right. bottle, the cheapest yeah. bottle. I do that sometimes when I'm in a restaurant. I just automatically will remove bottles from the selection if they're over a certain amount of money. Yeah, same. I'm like, I'm not paying $80 for a bottle of wine at a restaurant. I'm just not going to do it. Well, and also, too... Because it's just such a markup. Like, that bottle is not worth $80. Yeah. And the other thing I do, too, is... Like, for me, Spanish wines, Portuguese wines tend to be really good values, even out. You know, if you're going to pay for a bottle. And so I automatically look for those options. Like, California wine at a California restaurant, that can fuck right off. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us how you really feel. I did. Okay, moving on. (laughs) Moving on. We could go on and on forever, as you all know, listener. (laughs) oh this is my favorite pet peeve of yours go on (laughs) i don't i don't like (laughs) just a bad wine glass particularly stemless wine glasses i don't love them i have some from my early days where i didn't really know better and I keep them for like parties and stuff because right. it's a little bit easier or to make spritzes or something like that. But like when I go to a restaurant, I get a bottle of wine and then they give me the kind of like glasses that are the really 
thick glass are really heavy and they just have like a just a regular oval shape like there's just nothing the stem is like the size of a dime the stem is like (laughs) super thick they're just like cheap just could have like whatever wine glasses i don't like that so i'm very particular about my wine glasses i have a bunch of different types of wine glasses in my house and i do i will like hmm which glass do I want to use tonight? It's true. It's true. She's seen me do this. I've seen like, it in action. She's seen it in action. I love it, too. <laughs> I, I I fully support this peeve of yours. I, too, would like to have it, except motherfuckers who come to my house keep breaking my goddamn wine yes. glasses. So Rose, like, single-handedly took out, like, three in one week one time. And I was like, you know what? That's it. That's it. <laughs> I do have a box of party glasses that when I am... If there's some sort of wine beverage being consumed, they're the wine glasses that I would have gotten at like tasting rooms in Temecula and stuff. So right, they're like, yeah. they're wine glasses, but they're on the smaller side. They're like, whatever, there's nothing special, but that's the party box. Like, that's not for a dinner party. Like, that's for like an outdoor barbecue right. type of thing. But if I'm having like people for dinner, you're getting a proper wine glass. Well, we are fully using our winery stock from Valle de Guadalupe right now because yes. bitches can't be trusted. So. And that's okay. Here we are. Okay, what's your last one? So this is similar to one of yours, but I feel like it's worth repeating. Wine snobs. Yeah, just don't be one. Yeah, just chill the fuck out. Just be chill. Just enjoy your time. Everybody knows that you like wine. Just calm the fuck down. It's not your whole personality. Listen, I'm telling you this, and we have a wine podcast, okay? Yeah. Just, you know, be be cool. Be and if chill. you get nothing else from, like, what we do on this podcast, it's, you know, we try to keep things to a certain budget. Um, we do, a, you know, we try a bunch of different wines. Yeah. Wine should not be hard. It, it should be. not be a competition. No. It should not be like... It should make you feel bad. A dick flag. Like, it shouldn't be any of those things. <laughs> okay, like, so there you have it. No dick flags. Our shenanigans for this Wine 101 episode where you have learned a little bit about what not to do when you are drinking wine out in public. Today we'll be covering wine basics for our wine one on one oh one episode. There we go, uh, and we're gonna be covering some best practices for tasting, some quick tips for serving and storing. So by the end of this episode, you can select, taste, and serve wine with complete and other confidence, or at least not feel like a total asshole. Yeah, I. This is gonna be a good episode, and a little shout out to. One of our listeners, Kendra, because it this really kind of came out from something that she told Hot Rob. That she our PR kinda, person. Yeah. That yeah. she kind of wished that she knew a little bit more about the basics of stuff because we were using like some terminology or just saying things that she's like, oh, i got to look that up. So this one goes out to you, Kendra. Yep. Thank you, Kendra. And should we get down to it? Let's do it. Yeah. So we're going to start real basic. <laughs> what is wine? I'm glad you asked, Jules. Wine. <laughs> Professor Drea in the house. Wine is an alcoholic beverage, I'm sure that's shocking to you, that is made from fermented grapes. And technically, wine can be made from any fermented fruit, as we learned with our Illinois episode. Uh, but... Fuck that. Yeah. We're, we really we're focus on the grapes. The grapes. Yeah. Yeah. 
And what are the major categories of wine? So there are four major categories, and I, I actually think we, we need to cover some more of these. Yes. Um, but still, which is what we drink most Mostly. often mm-hmm. on the podcast, sparkling. Bubbles. Fortified. Yummy. And dessert wines. Sweet. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> So those are your four basic categories of wine and a little foreshadowing. We may be doing some coursing and pairings in a future episode. So yes, stay tuned. especially with the holidays coming up. So let's tell you a little bit more about the grapes that are used to make wine. They're going to be very different from the grapes that you get from the store that you use for healthy snacks. So like the green grapes, the red grapes, seedless grapes. Cotton candy grapes. Whatever. All those grapes. grapes. <laughs> Wine grapes are going to be much smaller. They do have seeds and they're going to be much sweeter than table grapes. The type of grape is called a variety or varietal. And typically, wine grapes make two types of wine. A single varietal or blends. And those are pretty self-explanatory. So a single varietal is one type of grape going into that bottle to Mm -hmm. make the wine and then a blend is when you have multiple types of grapes that are then um fermented and blended together so a good example of blend is like a gsm GSM. yeah a grenache syrah mavedra that comes out of typically central coastal california Mm -hmm. okay so as we all know i am really into the dirt stuff when it comes to wine and growth patterns and harvest and all of that good stuff. So there are four key factors in viticulture. And what is viticulture? It is the art and the science of tending to vines. I like the art part. She likes the science part. I like the art part too. I mean, I I like it more. Jesus, calm down. Okay. Refer to our shawine again. Be chill. (laughs) Okay. The four factors of viticulture are? Grapes, obviously. Soil, dirt, climate, change, <laughs> and people. Okay. Talent. Talent. Yeah, okay. Human resources. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and there are four stages to the growth cycle when we talk about, you know, tending a vineyard. So the first is flowering, which happens early to mid-spring. Uh, pollination, which happens around late spring or very early summer. Uh Variation, which is late summer, and then harvest, which is in technically in autumn. Now, something I want to point out, though, is while vines take about a year to year to yield fruit, and the harvest typically takes place August to October historically, uh, climate change is really causing things to go awry, and harvest tends to happen earlier and earlier. So. And this is a global issue. Like I was just in Spain, I was at a vineyard, and they were telling me their harvest was done by the end of June. Like Which is that's crazy. wild, yeah. you know? So um, keep in mind that these dates are rapidly shifting and really affecting what's going into your, your glass too. And one of the reasons why the harvest is happening earlier is because it's getting hotter. Yep. If you leave the grapes on the vine until that August to October timeframe, just because that's what it normally is, the grapes are going to be way too sweet. Yeah, you're going to have fortified They're going to ripen. Yep. So it's going to make a different kind of wine. So just FYI, Kendra, that is why 
you would want to pick the grapes a little earlier so that you're actually getting the grape at the right time, time. to make it's, the wine. Yeah, I mean, in winemaking, timing is really everything, right? So um, you kind of have to work with what the climate and what the vineyard gives you. And so that vineyard that I was at in Spain, they were making sparkling wines. And you don't want those to get shrivelly mm -hmm. and to get over um, for the sugars to kind of take over that grape entirely because of the fermentation process it goes through right so yeah it's i mean this is all in the science of wine kind of knowing what you're planning knowing what the climate patterns are doing and being able to to make all of that work to get the harvest time just right okay i think we're going a little off of wine 101 let's dial it okay. back all right i'm basics. sorry i'm sorry okay so let's talk about the vines a little bit more that's okay. okay so for vines um Vines can typically begin producing grapes and, and fruit that can theoretically make wine a year after they're planted. So you can get wine on little baby vines, but... Maybe we should plant vines. Let's Ooh. see. It be a two girls in a grape experiment. I, I really this. like this. Okay. But vines can also be hundreds of years old and still produce grapes for wine. Uh, like some of the ancestral wineries that you find like in the Greek islands, for example. However, as vines age they produce less and less fruit, but that fruit will have more concentrated flavor profiles. So when you hear about people talk, when you hear people talk about vines that are like 60 years old, 90 years old, 100 plus years old. Old, old vines. Old vines in, yeah. right. That's what they're talking about. So it, it, they tend to be lower production wines, so you're getting fewer bottle yields out of those vines but more concentrated in flavor. Okay, so that's a little bit about the vines. Oh, and harvest. So yeah. harvest um, is either done by machine or by hand. Hand picking and processing is favored among smaller producers that tend to focus on quality over quantity. And frankly, most of the producers that we cover on the show are fall into that category and are picking and harvesting by hand. Um, but, you know, with a lot of the wines you find in the grocery store, things that are being produced for a mass market or the industrial wine complex, as I like to call it, uh, those are being harvested by machine simply because there's just too much. And um, one of the interesting things I read about recently is even places that have smaller production footprints are really struggling to get um, uh, employees during harvest season. Yeah. Well, so you'll start to see a lot more like wine clubs being like, hey, come celebrate harvest season and pick, and pick grapes. Stuff, yeah. yeah, you're in a vineyard at like 4 a.m. It's not that fun. It's not sexy. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the science behind how the wine makes it into the bottle. It blinded me with science. Sorry, oh, I could not resist. <laughs> Okay, so there are a couple things, all jokes aside, there are a couple things to know about the science of wine. Um, the first is terroir, right? And terroir basically means the environment that creates the conditions for a wine. And it includes uh, climate, soil, and aspect, which is terrain. So the, the various properties of the terrain is our the vines on a slope are they mm -hmm. east in facing valley, west they, facing yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. are they terraced yeah all of that stuff what's the canopy so that like? is something so terroir is some is a term that you will hear if you go to tasting room 
So, dear listener, Herbs. know that that's what it means. Yeah. It's yeah. just the environment that that particular grape was grown in. Right. Terror. And then from there, they'll talk about the specifics, right? Like, what's the soil composition? Yeah. Is it limestone? Is it clay? Is it sand? Which might be a little, like, for me, sometimes I'm like... Okay. Oh, I love that You love shit. that stuff because then you're like, are shit. we going to taste that in the glass? And I've learned a little bit more to appreciate that since doing the podcast with you. Okay, what's oh, the next thing you. that we need to think about? Climate. So climate has a huge influence on what ends up in your glass. Fake so we, news. <laughs> we've already <laughs> talked about it in relationship <laughs> to like harvest time. But um, so why should it matter then, right? And... What matters is the type of wine that ends up getting produced by various climate regions. So there are always some exceptions, but general rule is cool climate wines tend to be higher in acid, lower in alcohol, and lighter in body. Whereas we'll let you know what some of those things mean. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Uh, Warm climate wines tend to be lower in acid, higher in alcohol, and fuller in body. And that's because as temperatures warm up, it develops the sugars in the grapes more. During the fermentation process, yeast eats the sugars. That's what creates both alcohol production and CO2. And so you're going to have a higher alcohol content if you have a higher sugar content. You get a higher sugar content in a warmer climate grape. So we talk, I just mentioned fermentation. So let's talk about that. So fermentation, and this is actually the real science of winemaking. This is when shit starts getting into like a chemistry kit, right? Um, fermentation occurs when yeast, and this can either be natural occurring yeast or yeast that is added specifically for the process of winemaking. Um, but it's when yeast, yeast eats the sugar and converts it to alcohol and CO2. Most wines undergo one fermentation, mostly in the tank. What happens in barrels is aging, not fermentation. The only wine that really undergoes a second fermentation are sparkling wines. And this happens in the bottle, and that's how you get those bubbles. Okay, so now we've given you some science. The last piece of the scientific puzzle is figuring out all this bullshit. And because let's face it, like when you go to a restaurant or you go to a wine shop or you go to the grocery store and you're faced with just a wall of fucking wine or a list of fucking wine, you only have the information that they're giving you. Right. Right. And you only have typically what's on the label. You do have your phone and Google. Oh, you do have but that. But if you refer back to the husband's episode, they actually could not use Yeah. Their so phones. what if you've left your phone so at home? They had to rely on... The label. Right. How'd that work out for them? It worked out really well for John. Not so much for Hot Rob with that Malbec. Well, you know, we can't, can't, can't win them all. Uh, so Apparently Rob can. <laughs> so reading a wine label. Um, First, you need, to know, you need to know how to read. That's step number, basic step number one. Numero they, uno. They, be, Learn your ABCs. Be functionally literate. Thank yes. you. Thank you, Jules, okay. for reminding all of us in this very yeah, special just PSA. Say. Just <laughs> So there are three different um, ways that wine labels are set up. 
The first is by Variety. So what you'll see prominently featured on the label is the type of grape. Whether it's a Cabernet Sauvignon or a Chardonnay. You know, a Zinfandel. Yeah. So it, that'll be the most prominent thing on the label. And countries that usually follow this labeling include the United States, Chile, Argentina, Italy, France, Germany, Austria, Portugal, New Zealand, South Africa, and Australia. So a lot of New World wines, right? Um, the second type of labeling is by region. Now, this really matters when regions happen to be fucking famous. So think of things like Champagne, Bordeaux. Bordeaux is not a- Champaign-Urbana in Illinois? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> How many puns can we have this episode? Um, Bordeaux. So Bordeaux is not a grape. Bordeaux is a region in France. A yes. Bordeaux blend is a, a collection of a number of different grapes, right? So um, places where you'll see things identified by region are France, Italy, Spain, Portugal, mostly old world wines. And these tend to be places where that domain of origin or that AVA, as we call it here in the U.S., is very important. So a place like Champagne, right? Mm -hmm. Champagne, yeah. like most Champagne is made from like Chardonnay grapes. But the label says Champagne because that's the region. And that's what's recognizable on the market. And it was made in that particular style. Right. It's also um, when you have things labeled by the region, they're protected. So these winemakers have to follow very strict rules in order to be, be able to label it a Champagne, a Bordeaux. Correct. And it has to come from that region. So like even though we have sparkling wines that are being produced in other parts of the world, right? Italy, the U.S., Spain, none of them can be called Champagne because they don't meet those requirements and the regional production. That's why they're called sparkling Wines. wine or Prosecco Cava. or Cava, because they're not allowed to be called champagne, but they're all the same thing. Yeah, they make them the exact same way. Okay, and then what's the last sort of thing that you need to look at when you're looking at a wine label? Okay, so the third possibility is by name. So, for example, we are drinking, um, we drank a wine last episode called the Hocus Pocus. That was on the label. Um, and even though that was a Syrah, what you normally see is, is wines with like a specified name tend to be blends. Um, I see a lot of this in California, you know, wines that have kind of these fun, cheeky names. Um, and those tend to be blends for the most part. You see them a lot in the United States. Um, I've seen quite a few like down in Mexico. Uh, I've seen a few in like Chile, South Africa. So again, kind of new world production wines for sure. But yep, those are your three kind of labels. Um, variety, region, name. So now you are set up to successfully go to the store and buy a bottle of wine just by looking at the label. Get drinking. Get to drinking. So now that you have learned a little bit about how to pick a bottle of wine based on a few different things uh, that may be important to you or may not, but now you know how to pick it, let's talk about 
when you open that bottle and you are tasting the wine, what are some basic wine characteristics to look for when you're tasting a wine? So Drea, kick us off with the ABCs of tasting wine. So there are a couple of key things that you look for when you're tasting wine and that if you go to like a tasting room, people will talk about, right? So here's your little primer. The first is acid. All wine has acidity, right? Acid is one of the pieces on your areas on your palate. And as grapes wipe, ripen, they have less and less acid. So that's one of the things to note. Second is tannin. This refers primarily to red wines and tannins are a textural quality that often reads as a sensation of dryness on the mouth. It is created by skins and seeds um, during that fermentation process and gives what we call structure to the wine. So when someone says structure, all they're talking about is like tannins and that texture. Uh, next is alcohol. Again, Yay! yes, there is alcohol <laughs> in wine. Um, and we often talk on this podcast about ABV, which is alcohol by volume. Uh, and it falls into a couple of categories. So low tends to be in that 10 to 11% range medium 11 to 13% and high 14 to 15%. So that's the amount of alcohol per standard bottle percentage wise. And the rest is like really just water and stuff, you know, mm -hmm. cause that's the core of the wine. So you could drink three glasses of a low ABV wine versus three glasses of a high ABV wine and be like, why did I get drunk off of this wine, but not this wine? Well, there's more alcohol. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So. Um, next is body. And when we talk about body, all we mean is the weight and the feel of the wine in your mouth. So some wines will feel kind of light and crisp and effervescent, and some will feel heavy, heavy, yeah. thick, Coating. velvety. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, next is sweetness. And this is the amount of residual sugar that may still be in a wine. So all wine has sugar, all wine has sugar, yeah. but some has more residual sugar that's left over from that fermentation and aging process. And then finally, balance. So when we talk about balance, it means the total components of a wine. And the goal is that they're harmonious, right? That that acid and those tannins and the body kind of all play together really nicely. But if something is like, if you're like, oh, this the acid in this wine is overwhelming mm -hmm. that's a sign that it may be slightly out of balance yeah. right you shouldn't be tasting one of those over the other like severely right yeah exactly like if something tends like if if something seems really sh sharp mm -hmm. then there's something something needs Something's to give off. with that wine yeah. yes okay so you have poured your wine out into your glass and we do this all the time when we do our tasting and we talk about what does it look like you know what does it smell like what does it taste like so let's kind of break that part down and talk about the appearance of the wine in your glass once you poured it out of the bottle so there are three things you look for when it comes to appearance color legs clarity so color is the observed color um, lighter wines tend to be lighter in body and more acidic and darker wines tend to be heavier in body and are also a sign of aging. You want to hold your glass over a neutral, preferably white surface. 
so that you can really see what that color looks like. Um, sometimes you'll also see kind of like a hint of brown and that suggests oxidation. Doesn't mean your wine is bad, it just may have been aged really long and that means some oxygen has gotten in through your cork. Okay, the second thing are the legs. Um, and legs are the streaks on the glass that the wine leaves. So like if you have swirled your wine or you're kind of looking at the color and then you pour it back, you'll see those streaks kind of coming on down the curve the of the, of the glass. glass. Yeah, and um, they're often an indicator of body, aging, and alcohol levels. So the thicker the legs and the more time they take to kind of go back down, um, that indicates a fuller bodied wine. And then finally, clarity. So we've talked a lot about, um, you know, if a wine is unfiltered, if there's sediment, when, especially in our episodes where we have featured natural wines or pet gnats. And clarity just means exactly that. Like how translucent is that wine? Is it filtered? Is it unfiltered? Um, is it our carbonic? So there was whole cluster maceration happening. Uh, do you see sediment at the bottom of your glass? All of those things are going to give you some hints about the wine, its body, its tannins, its aging. Okay. Then when we talk about on the podcast, what do you smell in the glass? Tell us a grapes. little bit about that. Grapes. <laughs> my my smart ass. Grapes. Grapes. Alcohol. Okay. So but really. So you'll see, especially like in movies or at tasting rooms or those wine snobs we told you not to be, people like making a real show out of swirling their yes. glass. And... Some not, people are real good swirlers. Not to not to go back on our, our word from earlier, but swirling the wine in your glass is actually kind of important. And the reason is, is that that action activates and releases the aromatic compounds of a wine. And it brings oxygen into your glass, so it softens the tannins and the acid in red wines as well, okay? So you definitely want to give it a swirl before you take a big whiff of it. And what you're looking for are two things. You're looking for primary aromas and secondary aromas. Primary aromas are the traits of the actual grape varietal. So these are going to be things that you're going to describe with terms related to fruit, so if you have like raspberries or stone fruits or tropical fruits or whatever, earth, um, woodsiness, potting soil, stuff like that, floral, uh, honeysuckle, gardenia, green. These are the more like vegetable oriented um, flavor descriptors. So like herbaceousness, uh, bell pepper, stuff like you'll see these in like a Tempranillo sometimes. And then spice. So you've heard us talk about things like baking spices or allspice or cloves. So those are your primary aromas. Secondary aromas are traits that are given to the wine through the winemaking and the aging process. So these are things that get developed over time. So um, like brioche or bread, um, that's kind of that like residual yeastiness, cream, honey, tobacco, coffee, vanilla, smoke. A lot of those characteristics come from barrel aging of wines. And you can find those in both reds and whites. So once you've swirled stuff around and you've picked out your primary aromas and your secondary aromas, 
you have finally reached the point where you get to put it in your mouth, which is what everybody wants. So there is a little bit of an art to to tasting. Um, The first thing is, is you want it to, once you take a sip, and like don't, you you don't need to get crazy, but you take a sip. You want to have enough wine in your mouth, though, that the wine coats your mouth so that you're getting it on every part of that palate on your tongue so that you can really pick up those different flavors. So that's step one. Step two is you wanna allow some oxygen to come into your mouth. So sometimes you'll you'll be out tasting and you'll hear people who are tasting wine and it kind of sounds like they're like slurping, like a Yeah. And what, and, and I do that too, cause you're letting oxygen into your mouth so that it activates those aromas a bit more. And you're able to then more readily identify those primary and secondary flavors. So just like with aromas, flavors can be primary and secondary, and they tend to follow the same lines. But it's important to know what the wine smells like and what the wine tastes like won't always be the same thing. So you may get a wine that has like where those um, vanilla and brioche notes are really prominent on the nose, for example. And then when you taste it, it's a full on pineapple parade in your mouth of like tropical fruits. That's something that you see a lot with like Chardonnays at a certain point. So, you know, kind of keep an open mind that way. Um, And then, you know, the real key with tasting is to really think about the journey of that wine going into your mouth from start to finish. How does it evolve? What's that initial taste like? What's the finish like? How does it feel going down the pipes? All of that good stuff. And then really like decide if you like it. And that's totally up to you. I mean, the great thing about wine is it is all about personal taste and it's all about reference points. And so you hold the keys to, to your own wine kingdom. You know, you don't have to like something just because someone's like, oh, this wine is so good. Oh, this wine was so expensive. Like, drink what you like. Yes. All right. So those are our tasting tips. And hopefully they help you think a little bit more about what you're drinking and feel a little more confident and prepared about ordering wine at a wine bar or going to a wine tasting and feeling like you got it. Or really just trying new things too. Yeah. That's what we're here for. Trying we're new to, things. We're, at a, we're here to give you confidence. <laughs> confidence. And, and educate you. <laughs> okay. Speaking of education, uh, let's talk a little bit about serving and storing. So Jules, you are quite the hostess with the mostess. Um, Am I? You are. Okay. Now, I think one of the things a lot of people get nervous about when they're selecting wine for a gathering, right? A dinner party, a holiday, a celebration is not just what do I get, but how much do I get? So what is the rule of thumb? Okay. So there's the rule of thumb and then there's the rule of jewels. So (laughs) the rule of thumb is that for every two guests, you would have one bottle of wine. Now, this does not include that you're making cocktails. We're just talking about wine here. And that's because a standard bottle will yield about five glasses. See, I don't don't agree with that. I think it yields about four glasses. You got a heavy pour. See, I can stretch that bottle. Like, I can get six out of there. (laughs) 
But then you're shorting your guests on the wine, and then it goes back to my pet peeve of like a sh- like just a stingy pour. But it depends on how many courses, like how many different wines you're pouring out. True, but I tend to say, especially because it's easier. Math is hard for me, <laughs> so it's easier for me to take a bottle and say I'm going to get four glasses out of this, so Fine. I can serve four people out of okay. that one bottle, or you know, for one two, glass. Yeah. Yes, okay. exactly. Right. So. Um, so I tend to think about it as four glasses per bottle. And so if you were if you were to think about that, you should really have about one bottle for every two people. But at my house, that is not happening. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it really depends on what kind of boozers you're having over. It just over. depends on who you are and who's coming over. And also, like, are you serving a cocktail to start? Are you just doing the wine? I pretty much just say it's one bottle of wine per person that's coming. Is what I like to have on hand because inevitably there's going to be the person that drinks a little more than their fair share. And then there's going to be the person that maybe doesn't drink as much. So, right. I think one bottle per person for like a fun gathering is a a good amount. I'm not saying like just on a regular Sunday night, be like, oh, here, everybody gets their own bottle of wine. (laughs) Here's a silly straw for you. (laughs) At our house that does happen, but anyway. I wouldn't be opposed. Okay, so now that we've thought about how much wine to be serving, what, going back to sort of one of my pet peeves about the glasses, Drea, what would you say would be a good rule of thumb for how to pick out a wine glass? Okay, so if you've been to any, like, home store, you'll notice that there are a fuck ton of wine glasses. One million. (laughs) And they're all, like, different wines. So some will be as easy as red wine glass, white wine glass, sparkling wine glass. Some will I like be, that. Some will be like Bordeaux like glass, Pinot. Cabernet glass, yes. Chardonnay glass, all of the fucking glasses. One, no one has time. Two, no one has, no one has a budget. Three, no one has a storage. Um, so here's the thing. Yes. They have glasses for all these different wines, okay? And yes, there is a science behind it. Glasses are made a particular way to bring out the aromas of a particular grape. Fine, fine, fine. To enhance the wine. Right, to enhance the wine. Fine, fine, fine. You do not need all of that shit in your cupboard. So here's the thing. Think about your wine preferences and what you like to drink and select a glass that will enhance those wines. So if you are a white wine drinker, you don't need a wine glass. Yeah, you don't need a big old goblet designed for a heavy-duty, mm-hmm. high ABV red wine. If you are like, get that white nonsense away from me, go for the big, bold glass that's going to really open up and aerate your red wines. If you like to drink everything, go for a standard option. So mm-hmm. there are just some standard wine glasses. Um, I typically like a glass that does have a wider bottom to help distribute the aromas of a wine more. And for me, because I taste so much, um, that's really important. And I even like, I'll even pour a sparkling into a wider bottom glass because yeah. I want it to, to open up and I think that they're better for tasting. So if you're doing one, choose one that's got a little bit wider of a bottom. Of a booty. Yeah, yeah, a little junk in the trunk. A little hippie, a hippie glass. Okay, so Jules, since um, we have talked much about our cellars, yes, <laughs> tell us a little bit about storing wine and best practices. Yes, I mean we all know I have a 
big wine fridge in the garage. It's not fancy by any means. It's literally a wooden box wine fridge from like the 70s. It doesn't have it a works. glass front. It doesn't pull out, but it's awesome. Uh, so I highly recommend if you can have a wine fridge to have a wine fridge because you can set your temperature to be, you know, sort of like in the 65 degree range. 55 to 65 I think is pretty standard for red wines. Um, but if you can't afford to have a wine fridge or you don't have the space for a wine fridge, generally speaking, store your all of your wine, regardless of red, white, sparkling, whatever it is, store it in a cool place, out of direct sunlight so that there's no heat damage or oxidation. So you'll notice like when you leave something, especially a glass bottle out in the sun, it's going to get hot and then that's going to affect the wine that's in the bottle. And so wine definitely cooks like at about closets degrees. are great places yep. to store your wine. A closet because there's no sunlight getting in there unless you have like a walk-in closet with windows. But anyway, <laughs> basically a cool dark place is going to be like under the stairs, in your basement, in your closet. I mean, I used to give my former co-host Anne a whole bunch of shit for storing her wine in a box under her bed, but like legit, that was responsible. But that was if, <laughs> and she lived in New York City, so yep, yeah. that was probably the only option. So that is the best way to store it. I would say one thing that you can do before you're going to serve the wine. Well, if it's a white wine, for sure you're going to put it in the fridge for a few hours before you need to serve it. If you're in a pinch, throw that shit in the in the freezer. Yup. Get it nice and cold. Same with red wine. If you live in a home like our home here in San Diego does not have air conditioning, it gets it can get really hot in the summer. So if I didn't have that wine fridge and I was storing my red wine in my house, it could actually get quite warm. So I would need to put that wine that I was going to serve for dinner in the fridge yeah. for, you know, maybe a half an hour. To drop it down. Just to, to drop the temperature time. down. Yep. yep. Okay. And the other thing, too, is, um, you know, just because you open a wine doesn't mean you have to, like, slam the whole bottle. You can't. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> I know that rule doesn't apply to us, but. Readers, that's bullshit. <laughs> oh, yeah, they can read. I remember. Yes. Um, once you open your wine, you can store it in the fridge for a couple of days. But pro tip, invest in some high-quality vacuum wine stoppers. It's, you know. And they're say, not even that expensive. No. Like when she says invest, just fucking go to Bed Bath & Beyond, use your They're like 10 bucks. Yeah. And buy a little, like, little pump. You don't need to get, like, a Corvain system. Yeah. Like, that's, Although you know, I have three, one of those and it's awesome. I mean. It's a great way to not have to open a bottle of wine. They are fancy. Yeah. I do like them. But, um, yeah, get some good wine stoppers. Okay. And then, yeah, anything else? Um, the only other thing I think that would be worth talking about is that if you are storing wine or you're aging wine, if you're kind of saving a bottle of wine for something special, make sure you're actually turning that wine every once in a while. Yep. So if you are storing it under your bed in a box, I would say turn it upside down (laughs) or put that box on its side so that you're keeping your wines the way that a wine cellar would typically store them and then actually give it a, uh, like a 90 degree turn every so often, just so that it's not sitting in the same position for years and years and years. Yeah. If you're keeping it. And if you've seen some aged wines, they have like sediment, like kind of mm-hmm. kicked onto the yeah. inside of the bottle. So that does happen. Um, the other thing is with a wine that's meant to be aged like that, you want to keep the cork moist. Yes. And so I hate that word. I know, but do you have a better? You don't want the cork to dry out. 
that seems cumbersome, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say wet, and I'm like, that sounds gross. Yeah. That's, none of it's good. None of it's good. You're right. Um, and none of it's going to be good if your court gets all crumbly and shit. So, if your court gets dried out. <laughs> that sounds bad, too. God. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> we digress. So... One of the things that I think is really helpful um, for both Drea and I when we are working on our on these episodes, we have specific resources that we kind of go to to look things up or to kind of learn a little bit more about the wine that we're drinking or the varietal that we're drinking or, you know, just wine in general. Um, so, Drea, tell us a little bit about what kind of where do you go for your information? So, yeah, I um you know, when I'm doing the, the research for the episodes, I have a couple of favorites. The first is Wine Folly. So they um, produce, They have a great website that has amazing resources. They produce books. They have a huge social media presence. Follow them on Instagram. You've probably seen us post some of their like infographs and stuff, but Wine Folly is awesome. They make stuff super approachable and easy. Um, and they really have some of the, I think, the best quick reference guides on the market. Uh, the other place I like to go to are wine magazines, like Wine Enthusiasts and Wine Spectator. Uh, these can be a great source of information, but do take these with a grain of salt when it comes to all their top list and their ads, uh, because a lot of that is paid content. But you can get some really good information here about different trends in the wine world and when they profile certain producers. Uh, next, you've probably heard us talk a lot about winesearcher.com. This is a great online resource for finding specific bottles in your area, but one of its underutilized uh, sections, I think, is all the specific information that it has about grapes, regions, and producers. So there's a lot of research to be had on WineSearcher um, if you know what you're looking for. And then, of course, where I get a lot of our information is from local AVA or winery websites. Like, I want to know what people are saying about the areas that these wines are specifically coming from. This is also, these are also great resources for if you're planning a trip to a wine producing region and you mm -hmm. want to learn more about where to go, what you can expect, what are some things you should absolutely try, what's the history of the area, what kind of fucking colonialism they have, you know, <laughs> all, <laughs> where the Romans were, you know, all of that cool stuff. So um, definitely kind of looking at those specific areas, I think. And then um, a lot of places have wine classes. So if you were mm -hmm. so inclined, um, you can take... Well, I've done classes through um, the San Francisco Wine School. I've done them through Fine Vintage in Los Angeles. And some of them are asynchronous. Some of them are synchronous. And you can, you know, kind of learn at your own pace. So... Yeah, they're, those are, they're definitely an investment, but if you really want to learn more, they can be a great resource um, for some crash courses. In addition to, of course, listening to this podcast. Obviously. Duh. <laughs> so our next bottle, or our next episode, we're not, I don't think we're really going to do a bottle, but what we're thinking of for our next episode is going to be a holiday pairings. So stay so tuned. So multiple bottles. Yeah, so multiple <laughs> bottles right up our alley. So stay tuned for that episode. 
And you can follow us on Instagram at Two Girls in a Great Pod. That's T W O Girls in a Great Pod as we get closer to that release so you can see what we're up to. And if you have particular pairings that are tried and true, you can either slide into those DMs or email us at Two Girls in a Great Pod at gmail.com. And until next time, salute. Salute. <laughs>